right, if you've got your Bibles this morning, we're on the third message in the series, so I'm going to stand you right back up again. Let's turn to 3 John. 3 John, if you have trouble finding that, it comes right after 2 John, right? You're saying, that's a little book too. Well, 1 John's a little bit longer. It's five chapters, and so you find 1 John, 2 and 3 John, and uh, if you get to Jude or Revelation, you've gone too far, but they hide in the back of your Bible there. So you found your place, 3 John. We've been talking about prosperity. This morning, we're going to read about misguided prosperity, when somebody's seeking uh, prosperity with all the wrong motives, a man by the name of Diotrephes. So if you found your place there, verse 9, he says, uh, this is John still continuing to write to his friend Gaius. He said, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place or preeminence among them, does not receive us. This is why if I come... I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words, and he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome the brothers himself, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Dear friends, do not imitate what is evil but what is good. The one who does good is of God, the one who does evil has not seen God. Father, we pray this morning that we will be a people that have seen you, have experienced your presence. Behold your glory, Lord, that we would allow you to make a difference in us so that we would walk in step with the Spirit and the Word of God and cooperate with your mission in this world, not seeking prosperity for our own agendas and our own purposes, but seeking to give you glory and to further your mission. Lord, help us not to be stumbling blocks in that task. Help us to be cooperative with all that you're doing, to join you at where you're at work, to see you at work in our families, to see you at work in our church and in our community. And let us know that we are contributing to those blessings that you want to bless us with and not robbing others of it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated this morning as we talk about misguided prosperity. You know, Diotrephes is an interesting character. We don't know a lot about him, just that he was causing some problems in the church and that the reason for those problems was he liked being first place, thought a lot of himself, so to speak. I read the story of a couple, they were in there. Uh, 40s, and they had been married for about 20 years. They went to this wedding, and they found themselves at a wedding reception sitting with a, a lot of younger couples. And as the younger couples were looking at this other couple, thinking, well, they've been married a good bit longer than us, they couldn't help but observe that this older couple, they, they were as different as night and day. While, while the husband, he was outgoing, he was a little bit, quite honestly, full of himself. He talked about himself. He wanted all the attention. And uh, he was kind of this, this look-at-me kind of guy and kind of would take over a room when he walked in. And his, his wife was very humble, and, and she was uh, unassuming, sweet spirit, always putting others first, always serving others. 
And the other, the young couples couldn't help but think, wow, they are so different. And of course, he was giving advice on marriage because they had just seen a wedding during this reception. He's giving these young couples advice on marriage and telling them how much he knows and that sort of thing. And and his wife was just sitting there quietly, and, and someone finally said, well, you know, I can't help but think the two of you are just so different. I mean, what on earth do the two of you have in common that you've shared for 20 years? And as he got ready kind of arrogantly to, to pipe in and, and answer that question with his great wisdom, his, his wife, who had not said a word, just spoke up. And she said, well, here's what we have in common. We are both in love with the same man. <laughs> Ever know uh, anybody that's very much in love with himself? Diotrephes was one of those men. I know that all men struggle with that male ego, right? Diotrephes has that and then some. Pride and all kinds of things. Why is this important? Well, a misguided understanding of prosperity. When we make it all about us instead of all about him. We begin to waste our time. We begin to waste our energy. And if we waste our time and energy, ultimately we're wasting our life. We begin to rob our family of the blessing that we're supposed to be to them. We begin to rob our church of the blessing that we're supposed to be to the church. All of this begins to be a hindrance as Diotrephes was being to the church. Diotrephes was about himself. There's going to be a lot of people who try to climb the ladder of prosperity only to find out one day that it was leaning against the wrong wall. It was all about things that really didn't matter for time and eternity. And you'll hurt a lot of people along the way if you have this misguided idea of prosperity. Remember what we discovered the past two Sundays as we looked at the first half of this short letter, this postcard from a friend here, a postcard from John to his dear friend Gaius. He taught them that prosperity came from walking in the truth and knowing the word of God and living out the will of God and then discovering that God uses you as a channel of blessing as he pours out resources, whether those are practical or material or spiritual resources. He begins to pour those resources out so that we are mobilized, as we saw last week, to glorify God and to invest in his kingdom to make a difference for God's glory with our witness in this world. And so God wants to prosper us that way. Spiritually speaking, God wants us to be at our very best for him and for his glory. And we come even into a place of worship that we might have our cups filled again, right? That we might overflow with blessing that we might go forth and be a witness and a blessing to this world, not leaving it the same way we found it. D.L. Moody said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. God sends no one away empty except for those who are full of themselves. So if we come in thinking it's all about me, or we walk into our home saying, hey, it's it's my time, it's, it's all about me, then we're the ones that are left empty because we're missing out on what God has to offer. It's not about you, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus Christ. Whether you're talking about a place of worship, a Christian home, a Christian business, whatever 
place you find yourself serving the Lord, you want to make it all about Jesus Christ and not about you. Diotrephes didn't get that. Diotrephes had this misguided understanding that prosperity meant that he had control, that he had preeminence, that he was first place. And so we need to learn some things from his bad example. How many of you ever had parents say to you, don't do what I do, do what I say? Don't learn from my bad example in this area. Um, Diotrephes is setting a bad example, but we want to learn some good principles from his bad example when it comes to what misguided prosperity is all about. And, And the first thing we learn, the first lesson we learn in this text, these few verses right here, is that misguided prosperity is revealed in a demand for position. Diotrephes demanded preeminence. It says he loves to have first place among them. Not only that, he did not receive the brethren. He did not receive us, the apostles. Now, loving first place and not wanting any apostolic authority have anything to say about that, nobody else having influence, this this control freak mentality that Diotrephes was struggling with, was also a rejection during this apostolic age of the very word of God as the apostles would bring in the gospel and the and what the mission was all about, what the church was to be all about, Diotrephes didn't want to hear it because it would unseat him from his position of prominence. And not that it would necessarily seat the apostles, that may have been what Diotrephes was thinking, but that it would seat the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one that is worthy of the throne of your heart, your home, this church, and everywhere. He is the ruler of this universe. And so there's no place in the church for personal agendas and position seekers. No place in the church for personal agendas and position seekers. Now, are there positions? Yes, and we'll get to that. But no place for those who would demand position. No place for those who would demand preeminence. Jesus had to answer this question Early on in the life of his disciples, remember when James and John's mother came? Don't you love that when mom's going to come take up for you? You know, over 17 years ago, almost 18 years ago now, it was 18 years ago when I was talking with a pastor search committee, and they're like trying to keep it a secret from my mom because I'm in North Carolina, and uh, she's down here. I, I had to tell my mom early on as a young man, now if I come there... Now, this was after. They did keep it a secret from her pretty good. They surprised her when they, she found out that I was going to be the candidate for pastor. But I had to explain. Now, at church, you can't take up for me, right? And uh, that might be hard sometimes. It might be harder now than it was then. I don't know. But I had to explain that early on. James and John, their mama showed up and said, I, I want you to give my boys positions of authority. Put them in in places of leadership. Let one be to your right and one to your left. Let them kind of be in charge. And Jesus explained that they didn't know what they were seeking, that if they wanted to be great in the kingdom, they had to first learn to be servants. They had to be willing to be servants of all. And he explained what kind of service 
that he was bringing, the, the kind of service that takes up a cross and dies for the sins of the world, the kind of service that would wash his disciples' feet. I'm reminded of that. Even pastors have to be reminded of that when we talk about position. Paul told Timothy, be an example to the believers, right? He says, don't let them look down on you because you're young, Timothy, but be an example to the believers. Peter would tell the elders of the church, he would say, I'm a fellow elder, I'm one of you, I get this, but as you shepherd and bishop rule over the flock, do so willingly and not manipulatively, not controlling, but setting an example for the flock. You shepherd, you lead, you don't drive sheep, you lead them. And he says, so elders don't be control freaks, be leaders, lovingly leading your flock. As we look through the scriptures, deacons and pastors and spiritual leaders, teachers in the church, those are all positions that are needed. But our desire is not for position. Our desire is to serve and build and edify the body of Christ. And out of that desire, we begin to grow in areas of influence. It's not all about us. It doesn't revolve all around us. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says to the body of Christ in lowliness of mind or in humility, consider others better than yourself. So we begin to put others first and serve others and it gives us greater ability to influence the people around us. The famous uh, quarterback Bart Starr told this story about uh, probably the most famous coach in football history, Vince Lombardi. And he said, when you walked into his office, he said there was this large mahogany desk that just kind of told you, man, this is important. And as you looked over the desk and you looked behind this desk, there was a framed picture on the wall that said, organizational chart for the Green Bay Packers. And in one block at the top of that chart, it said, Coach Lombardi. And then under the chart, it just simply said, everybody else. <laughs> everybody else. What was he trying to communicate? He was trying to communicate, let it be clear that I'm in charge here. Let it be clear that it's going to be done my way, no matter where you are in the organizational chart. You've got to answer to me. In the church's organizational chart, it's not the pastor, it's not the congregation, it's not the deacons, it's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He speaks to us by the Holy Spirit and through his word, and then it's everybody else. And what Jesus has modeled for us is servant leadership to where he flips the chart and says, I'm going to serve you, and you lead by serving others. And if you want to increase your influence, increase your service. You love people and serve people. I love what John Maxwell gives us in his five le levels of leadership, and he's been teaching this for many decades now. But I first read this probably 20 years ago, and I've tried to learn from this, and I've seen it. Uh, I've seen God prove these 
levels of leadership to be something that's real, something that you can observe in someone's life. And so we want to grow through these levels. He says the first and lowest level of leadership is called position. Position means that we follow people because we have to or somebody follows us because they're supposed to follow us. And so you might get promoted to a position of leadership in your workplace. You might have a position in the church. Others may follow you only because you have that leadership position. And if that's the only level you attain, that is the lowest level, and it's not a lasting level. And you need to grow from that into the next level, what he calls permission. Permission says people follow you because they want to. Now it's not because they have to. It's not because you say, I'm in charge here, or I'm the boss here. It's because people say, you know what, I, I want to follow this person. The next level is production. People follow because of what you've done for the organization. Now, in a business or in a club at school or something like that, when you roll up your sleeves and you get busy and you do something to advance, I mean, if you want to be uh, an officer in the FFA, right, you do something to help the FFA. You want to be uh, somebody who's promoted to a place of management in the workplace, then you serve the workplace and you put the business first and you make the business look good, right? But also in the church, when we put the kingdom of God first and we serve the church, all of a sudden God puts us in a place where we have greater influence and people begin to follow because of what we've done for the organization. The next level is people development. And again, you apply this in your home, you can apply this in your workplace, you can apply this in your school, but you can certainly see it take place in the church where we should be about people development, helping people grow to know, love, and serve Christ. But then they follow you, not because of these other reasons, but now they follow you because of what you've done to help them. Because you have served them, after a number of years, I remember being told by a pastor that I consider to be a mentor in the faith that you won't become the pastor of a church until you've been there for six years. Now, that seems like six years seems like a long time ago now, but there was a time in my life where I thought, man, six years, that's a long time. But he said, in six years, you've had enough time to love people and serve people, and they'll begin to follow you because of what you've done to help them. And then the pinnacle level of leadership is when they trust who you are and believe what you represent. When people get to know you because you have served them and you have loved them, and they say, we can now trust your character, we trust in who you are, and we get it. We believe in what you represent. He says, this is the greatest level of leadership. And so you grow in these various levels, and it starts and continues by having a servant's heart. Misguided prosperity is revealed in a demand for position. A servant says, I don't really have to have a position to do what God has called me to do. I'm just going to serve. So many churches have even made pursuit of position popularity contests and churches vote on things where there are winners and there are losers, and it ought not be in the house of God. As people begin to serve 
and gain influence, that will naturally be recognized and God will begin to put people where he wants them. Next, I want you to see that misguided prosperity results in divisive behavior. I believe Diotrephes was an insecure person. And of course, when we try to put ourselves on the throne where only Jesus belongs, we are going to be insecure people. There are insecure church members. There are insecure moms and dads. There are insecure pastors all over this nation, threatened by the leadership of others. Look back at verse 9 again. He does not receive us rejecting the apostolic authority. There Sometimes there are power moves in churches, and they're almost always perpetrated by those who don't know the Word of God or the will of God, and, and they, there is a spiritual ignorance and a spiritual immaturity. And so those are the ones that are typically making power moves within the church. They're insecure. They want to stay on top, and they begin to do things that are unbiblical, even rejecting the authority of Scripture. Look at verse 10. He says, this is why if I come, I will remind him of the words which he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. Not satisfied with that, he only refuses to welcome the brothers himself. Even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Slander, malicious words, attacking the leadership and those who were leading according to the word of God. Attacking those who wanted to get behind the work of the apostles and make a difference. The King James Version says prating, the word prating, an old English word for idle talk that brings division. And any church that wants to promote unity, the members need to learn Proverbs 16, 27, and 28. It says, an ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife. And listen to this, and a whisperer, a whisperer, you know what a whisperer is, a whisperer separates the best of friends. Misguided prosperity, tearing others down, bringing division in order to lift oneself up. Be very, very careful. You know, when you inquire as to when this takes place among churches sometimes, it's not that it happens always over at the hair salon with the ladies, or that it always happens with the men down at the uh, cafe, Bills in Deville. Remember, I remember that. It's where the men get together to gossip. We don't have Bills in Deville anymore, do we? Gina Bells, Isla Restaurant, Hardee's. I didn't want to say those because you might picture which one I've been at. That's not where it usually happens. Oh, oh, yeah, and I know gossip happens in those places. I, I know whispering goes on in places like that, but it usually happens at church. But, but at church, when somebody ought to have been serving or being fed and under the Word of God or in worship, it's when somebody pulls you aside when that person ought to be in worship when that person 
ought to be in a life group or when that person ought to be in a Wednesday night men's study or ladies' study or working with Awana and they pull you aside and say, I just need to share something in love. Now, let's be careful. If somebody ever pulls you aside in a worship or Bible study setting or something like that and they say, I am hurting, I am broken, I've got to confess some sin, I've got to get something right, I'm about to bust, can you come talk with me? Then you should go and talk with them and minister the best you can in that opportunity. But if they ever pull you aside from the Word of God and the work of God, when it ought to be a time of worship, it ought to be a time of fellowship, it ought to be a time of service, it ought to be a time of getting fed spiritually or feeding others, and they say, can we just step aside so I can talk about somebody else in the church? Don't give them the time of day. Don't give them. Proverbs calls that a whisperer. You can just encourage them. I think maybe you ought to go to that person. Even if that person's in the wrong, they need to follow the Matthew 18 prescription and go to that person and make sure they work that out with them in that context. And so we've got to be careful. But listen, it's not just behind the scenes that it happens sometimes in churches. There are even situations today where it's happening very publicly, where spiritually immature people are driving men and women of God away from a church and allowing a church to die because of it. We have to be careful that that doesn't happen. I read the story of a pastor and a worship leader who wasn't getting along. Now, Jeff and I are getting along great. Don't, don't, uh, don't project us into this story, but, but this pastor actually had not been at the church nearly as long as the worship leader. The worship leader had a lot of influence over the people, and this young new pastor, he was a little bit jealous of that. And, and so he, he was trying his best to preach the word. Well, the people weren't receiving it. They, they were not too deep spiritually, and they didn't like the word of God confronting their sins. But they, they sure loved their worship leader and the songs that he was selecting, and so the pastor was a little bit jealous. He was struggling. In fact, one Sunday, the pastor preached real hard on tithing. And the worship leader, as he would usually do, wouldn't pick out the invitation hymn until after the pastor preached. And, and so the pastor preached real hard on tithing. and says, man, it's time that we pay up. And, and the worship leader stood, everybody for the invitation, said, let's sing Jesus paid it all. And so then the pastor the next Sunday comes in and talks about mobilizing the church. Man, we've got to move forward as a church. He gave a great visionary message, and the worship leader stood up right after that for the invitation and said, let's all stand and sing. I shall not be moved. Pastor's getting real frustrated with the worship leader. He knows that there's some gossip and storytelling going on, and he says, this has got to stop. The, the gossip and the storytelling that's going on is going to have to stop, and the worship leader stood everybody up at the invitation, and said, let's all sing in your hymnals, I love to tell the story. And they stood and began to sing. The pastor finally realized he was not going to win that battle, that he was not going to win that popularity contest. And so he began to tell the church very publicly, I'm, I'm, I'm praying about resigning. And I'm going to give it some thought. I'll talk more about it on the Sunday night service when it's just our church here and, and, uh, and the core of the church and, and everybody of course was wondering well, what's the pastor going to do and the worship leader stood everybody up and said I want you to turn in your hymnals to the song why not tonight and finally the pastor did stand and resign the next Sunday he stood in the pulpit 
And he said, I want you folks to know that I'm not resigning because of anybody else saying anything. I'm, I'm going to follow the voice of Jesus. The only reason I'm resigning is because Jesus has moved in my heart and moving me somewhere else. The worship leader stood up and said, everybody, can we sing? What a friend we have in Jesus today. <laughs> so sometimes that happens in a, in a public way, power plays. It happens behind the scenes. Don't be a part of that. Don't be a part of that. Do all that you can to protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Misguided pursuits of prosperity result in what Diotrephes was tried to accomplish, divisive behavior. And finally, I want you to see this morning that misguided prosperity is responded to with a direct warning. It's responded to with a direct warning. Warning. We, we saw it first in, in verse 10 a moment ago. It says, if I come, I'm going to remind him of the works he is doing. Well, obviously, John's already reminding Gaius in this letter, someone else who would have influence in the church. But he says, I'm going to call attention to this. We can't just ignore this. And not only is there a direct warning here, there's another direct warning that's found in exactly what I'm preaching to you as I expound this very text this morning. It's in verse 11. Dear friends, do not imitate what is evil. Yes, this happens among immature and insecure Christians. And sometimes they're new in the faith and they, they're going to learn. They're going to grow past that. At other times they ought to know better, but they've been more uh, churched than they have sanctified. And there's a difference between being churched and sanctified learning to walk in the Word and walk in the Spirit and, and living the Spirit-filled life so that the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness flow from them. They've got a big dose of churchianity, and so they need to grow. But he says, don't imitate that. Don't entertain that. Recognize that it's evil. He says, I'm going to call attention to the evil deeds James chapter 4 says, why do you have wars? Why do you have division among you? He says, because of your carnality. It's because of your desires of the flesh. It's, again, it goes back to putting ourselves on the throne. That brings division in our home, can bring division in churches, can bring division in our workplace. It can hurt friends at school. And when we begin to put ourselves first and quit serving others, we begin to tear down the people around us, and it hurts the whole cause. He says, that's evil. It's self-centeredness. And then recognize what it reveals. What does he say it reveals in verse 11? The one who does good is of God, but the one who does this evil has not seen God. According to 1 John 4, 7 through 12, where he talks about hearing his love, that God first loved us. He sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. He goes on to say, and no man has seen God at any time, yet what? If we apply these principles, if we love as Jesus loves, then people are going to see that God is real. He says, these, these people, people like the atrophies, they don't know God. They're far from him. They're controlling. They're attacking. They're insecure. They're immature. He says, they, they simply just don't know God. So they need our prayers. They need us to reach out to them. Maybe 
and I pray that nobody in our church came to mind while I was preaching through this. You might say, well, they did, but they're not here anymore. I pray that nobody came to your mind or to my mind when we go through this. But listen, if they do, love them, reach out to them, encourage them to do the right thing, model the right response, the spirit-filled response before them. But pray for them because it's been said again and again that hurting people will hurt people. And sometimes they're hurting the people around them because deep down they're hurting and they're insecure. Whether you're talking about in a school, on a playground, in your workplace, in a church, or in a home, bullies are the most insecure people in the world. They're doing what they're doing because they're hurting deep within and they need you to model love for them. Reach out to them. Don't follow their steps. Model the right response. You know, a wounded animal is a dangerous animal. It's concerned about survival and can hurt anybody else. So if somebody is hurting, if somebody's in this position, if somebody's a doctrophes, maybe you need to find out where are they really hurting and reach out and strive to model for them what it means to have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Some strong words about misguided prosperity here. There's a direct warning because of divisive behavior. There's a direct warning because here's a man, Diotrephes, who can wreck what God's trying to do. Let's go back to that organizational flow chart again. In Colossians chapter 1, we're told that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We're to exalt him. He's the one that Colossians explains gave his life as a ransom for our sins. He paid the price. And not only did he pay the price, you say, well, then then he's that one who's hurting. No, he victoriously rose from the grave to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he deserves for us to recognize that he is on the throne. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning.